from the loop episode for Echosphere is over, but here on Post Show Recap, we're just getting started. My name is Grace, but of course, I'm not alone. First, I'm joined by my dead grandpa, DM Philly. Philly, how you doing? I'm good. I'm dead. It's okay. great. I finally feel rested. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, you finally feel rested? Yeah. They told um, me I'd get plenty of sleep now, so yeah, so it begins. Yeah, you yelled in the echo sphere. Do you have much time? I guess you're my dead grandpa, so you have, it didn't echo back. I bad. did the first time I yelled at it. Diminishing mm-hmm. returns, Grace. Diminishing oh. returns on the echoes. Yeah, rough. All right. Well, of course, we're not alone. Uh, I trapped this person in a jar. I didn't put air holes in it either, so I think I've also killed him. It's Ariel. Ariel, how you doing? <laughs> at least we know now what happens, right? After, mm-hmm. after we die, we just become a, a, a voice without a form. But I can still mm-hmm. podcast, so that's great. Perfect. Yeah, that is the dream. As long as if, if we all like, you know, if we go into the echo sphere and it doesn't echo back, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll all be able to podcast still in the future. But if I'm sorry I died before you, Ariel, or I would have exchanged your corpse with quarters, but <laughs> that, that's my mistake. I apologize. That's so thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like can't help but laugh here because my initial thing I said, I was like, I don't think I have anything funny to say to intro you. This is a really dark episode of Tales from the Loop in a show that's been pretty sad, melancholy, I think is maybe the best way to put it so far. This is an extra sad one as uh, we get the story of Jonathan uh, Price here as Russ who's going to just, he's, he dies. It's so sad. It's so sad. Uh, Rich, you made us watch this such sad show. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I spend my time watching, you know. The rest of you guys are out there watching comedies. I'm re-watching mm-hmm. Tales from the Loop. Uh, I, you know, I think that melancholy is the right term for the show's kind of emotional space that it's lingering in. But this one is is a, like, full-on battering ram of, like, emotion. It is tragic. It is really hard. It is very relatable. Um, I think the last couple of episodes have really, like, used the sci-fi more aggressively even than this one has this is a really just fundamentally interpersonal story about like the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end life and death and i i find it really poignant and powerful and one of like the strongest hours of tv i've watched in a while yeah i was gonna say the the tech is so minimal here but yet i almost feel like in the way that last week's tech was really minimal ariel like we talked about how it's such a metaphor but I almost feel like the tech, this is one of the, like, maybe the most powerful uses of technology. Maybe the one I least want to see in our, in our future, I think, maybe. <laughs> uh-huh. Is that why? Well, I don't know. No, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's, it's crazy. First of all, I'm so impressed. Like I had the, the personal theory that like the last episode was going to be the, you know, the big price episode mm-hmm. and this this is crazy like i'm so impressed with the show they're like let's just kill off yeah. this person this like really important yeah. person like halfway through the season and we know like I, I think at times i can't remember we've gotten we've gotten time travel but we haven't gotten like flashbacks as far as i remember so like i have no reason to believe that he'll be back on the show which is like crazy but to your point it's such a to both of your points the way that they try to emphatically and successfully so make the point that like even all this technology cannot escape like one of the in the same way that like all the stuff that they're dealing with is so unknowable the most unknowable thing for us as humans being death like how in the face of that there is nothing that can be done and we keep expecting mm-hmm. to get some kind of solution some answer some some like hail mary and it's just like no this person dies and it's really sad and sad. Like I would actually say that and not just the ending note, which is like probably my favorite moment in the entire series so far that we'll get to, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. the, the way that um, last episode I actually found sadder in like a much more fundamental bleak way. And Grace, you know, I love sad stuff, but like last episode, I was like the first time I was like, I'm sad, but I don't like it this time. Cause like the idea Mm. of being, being alone and how that character was like that was her whole drive and that's like almost too real for me but this episode was like very sad for sure but also beautiful and somehow manages to end on a hopeful note so i was really well i i think that the idea that that sorry that the first three episodes and this one is about a child as well in coal but 
there is such tragedy to the idea of these like the children like it's so much sadder to think that like the technology messes up lives of children i think rather than a man at the end of his life facing death like he doesn't really get messed up by it other than that like his son asked him to do it and there's no echo and he's dealing with cancer but it's almost like yeah i mean he's an old man like yeah i don't want anybody to die but like you know it is you know if if any is rather as opposed to a lot of the themes of the first few episodes it's like yeah, there's a kid who stuck as a robot baby for the rest of his <laughs> life that's mm-hmm. pretty sad it's pretty dark you know i don't know i don't know rich what do you think i i just was gonna say like this idea of isolation i think it's such a powerful theme across the first four episodes like this is kind of our halfway mm-hmm. point right the line mm-hmm. of like demarcation for the season and we're going to track through the back half of it and see where it goes but across these episodes you have the first episode focused on loretta and her isolation the disconnection from her mother and the relationship the second episode with jacob who wants to be invisible and ends up like isolated literally in this robot's body and is invisible now and the last episode is about the isolation of like oh but the relationship moves beyond this moment and then even that moment has to die when you can preserve it and now we're talking about the isolation of this child who is like left without this connectivity of his grandfather the isolation of russ himself and that death is this thing you have to face alone fundamentally right we're like born alone we die alone there's just such great resonance and interconnectivity thematically i think across the episodes and the way that we're using this narrative technique of kind of dipping in and out of characters like introducing ourselves very lightly to these people before we interrogate the story i was really taken this week i remember watching this one the first time and being like just shook by it i had a really really close relationship with one of the grandfathers in my life and he was a much harder man than russ but this notion that like we've talked about a bunch you never know your parents that relationship is so kind of specific and strained but your grandparents get to be like super parents right they get to unshackle themselves of those burdens of obligation their their failures and their shortcomings as parents to your parents and so it's this really unique kind of relationship so many of the individual notes resonated with me but um i don't know i just found it really profound and what struck me reading about this episode more than the others is like two-thirds of the responses seem to be this was a masterpiece i am like rattled to my core this resonated with the loss of my insert beloved family member here profoundly mm-hmm. and then the other third of the responses were like what it, what the hell is this episode of tv where's the sci-fi where are the answers I don't understand the dome, like what's going on here. And I just think fundamentally, like it's so not that show, right? Like this show has shown us like it's using the technology to highlight these paradoxical moments in the human experience and and the way that like innovation can articulate or like highlight the, the like shortcoming and the, and the disconnection that we have with one another as a species there's just something really profound under the surface of the show that i think is like really uh beautiful for me and why i'm glad to be able to talk it through with you guys yeah all right let me give a quick plot recap of echo sphere so young cole who we met in episode one stays for a sleepover at his grandfather's house his grandfather is russ and they bond collecting fireflies and gardening and cole asks about the nature of russ's job at the underground Uh, And Russ basically describes it as making the impossible possible. Russ gets bad news from his doctor and takes Cole to see the echosphere, an object that echoes your voice to indicate the rest of your lifespan. Russ uh, doesn't hear echoes, indicating he maybe doesn't have much time left. He tells the family that there's nothing they can do about his cancer, and Cole is upset and storms off. Uh, Russ hands over control of the underground to Loretta, who we also met in episode one, who is Cole's mom. Uh, Russ spends time with Cole, uh, giving him all sorts of life lessons. Uh, His health deteriorates, and then ultimately he passes away after a stay in the hospital. Uh, Cole does meet a girl named Zoe at the wake. Um, Cole returns to Clara's house uh, to learn about Russ's office, but doesn't really find out anything. Um, Clara being, I believe, his grandmother. Um, The episode ends with Cole going back to the echo sphere and yelling into it again. And each time the echo sounds hello, we see an instance of him at another point in his life and that's echo sphere um i mean i feel like um 
you know, I always, uh, I, I say recently, I always like, okay, I'll read this plot recap sort of, and then like, what's the headline? I took this from Rob Sesternino and Stephen Fishback, who will often recap an episode of Survivor. What the head, what's the headline? And typically it's something that happens at tribal council right at the end of the episode, rather than like jumping mm-hmm. to the beginning and seeing how we got there. It's like, no, that's the thing we want to talk about. We just finished watching it. And that's what I want to talk about. And you talked about this last scene. Is it the scene where Cole's life sort of, you see it in moments every time. Yeah. The, yeah. It's, it's really it's good. incredible like to see not not just to he- see his it's two things not just to see his these like flashes of his life as the echoes of his voice are reverberating but then also to hear his voice changing as yeah. we're seeing him age and then that's it that's all we get i was like this is like i just got goosebumps talking about it this is so incredible it's so profound it's it's beautiful this is like the hopeful note that i'm talking about like a whole life that he you know like whether or not he's seeing it himself i think is up for debate but frankly to me not important because we get to Mm -hmm. see it it reminded me a lot of of uh, a sequence in six feet under that you get in that show and just like that that show means so much to me and that also coming to netflix now we're on an, uh, we're not talking about an Amazon Prime show, but we covered Dark and Six Feet Under coming to Netflix soon. Yeah, it's coming to Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. Honestly, like I already said, this it's it's probably my favorite moment. Like I have more favorite episodes, but it's probably my favorite single moment in the whole series so far. And just really, just really caught me by surprise. And you know, I love surprises, Grace, when it comes to TV and movies. Mm-hmm. What struck me about that whole montage at the end, we love our montages on the heels of talking about dark, but again, I'm so indexed on like Stalinhog as the origin point for this entire series. And him is like a visual artist who's creating still images and we're using still images in this montage. They're not like super, they're not necessarily immediately still, but they're not like super kinetic in the way that the dark montages are where we're like advancing plot. They're really like quick frame to frames, but it's like, if you really paint attention here as he's aging up and he's going back to the house he grew up with his kids and he's taking his kids around and the final one is him with like presumably at his grandson's birthday party and then the closing notes of the fireflies in the ecosphere which has all of these holes open in it to like allow their life where like the whole beginning of the episode ends with him putting the fireflies in the jar that he forgets to put holes in and and like with Russ, his grandfather kind of like hiding this this question about mortality from him in that like first instance where like mm-hmm. he's going to exchange the fireflies with the coins in the jar after they die to kind of like keep it back from the kid but that we get that closing beat at the end it's just so thematically resonant i feel like in terms of like a real exploration of life and death and like the impossible the possible the like the way that we spend a life it it really it's profound and and the getting the like ending bookend of like you know the perspective of mortality from an old person that has lived a full life to what Ariel was talking about early on. And then having to like, you know, present that to this young person that like is trying to wrap their head around it. It's so difficult. It's so hard to imagine a life out in front of you when you're that small, when you're 10 years old, like decades, that's like unfathomable. Right. Um, And it's a really beautiful, like visual representation of like, the light and the darkness right like that one singular firefly it's a tiny little insect but that tiny little bit of light like cuts through the dark from so very far away and like that's that's the hope of life that it will go on despite all of this i don't know there's a lot of there there yeah i mean i i feel like well first of all i do have to acknowledge that i think whoever does like security or cleanup for the loop needs to be completely fired all of these devices very last yeah Yeah. they're just like i don't know just put it out there i don't know it's fine um but again i talked about that that i feel like the thing that struck me the most is that i do feel like this is the most minimal use of sci-fi over the first four episodes and yet i do feel like you know as i joked about earlier it's the device i least want to exist in our world and yet is you know the the idea that it could tell you when you're going to die is absolutely terrifying for me i never actually want to know when i'm going to to die don't don't tell me but this idea Mm -hmm. that 
you know, he knows what it is. Boy, it's a um, have to say a bold call uh, to get your grandson to try it out. I will. That could have been a very test drive it, kid. <laughs> yeah, if it was like not responsive, like hmm, interesting. It's not definitely not a device that tells you how old you live. I'll tell you that. You know, um, this episode wow. could have been much darker. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. But, no, I didn't even think of that. That's like, yeah. What if he dies? Autumn, he's like, like eight, you know, eighteen. Forget you know? the like, yeah, trauma that he's already gonna put. The, I mean, that's unfair to phrase it like that. But that he's all yeah. that he's gonna put this kid through already, and then adds the fact, of like, wait, I tried the machine, and Grandpa's echo was louder. Than yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's because we switched bodies later. Uh, oh, even, even out. No, but. I do so I think like the idea of the loop to me has been so interesting of this show is it's like sort of like mystery of like what is it and what do they do and obviously these sci-fi devices come out of the loop seemingly and they can do all sorts of things we can see that like we machines that switch consciousness machines that can stop time um what do we get in episode 1 we don't really get anything right we just see this is like the loretta time, the time travel, travel right I mean, okay loretta, yeah you can time like, finds the okay. piece of the eclipse yes. and yeah. that's right so pretty powerful like science that they like seemingly have discovered and so i love i i feel like you have this feeling like russ i don't know i did that russ is nefarious in some way that like i do feel like when you think I, I don't know maybe i'm just like incepted by shows like severance where it's like yeah lumen industries like i had that i that's my like was thought of the loop of like are we going to figure out the answers to like why they're doing this and often when like this is happening it does not feel like the answer is going to be like oh it's all really cool good stuff they're doing you know and so yeah. what i think is really interesting is that like even if there's still a mystery in terms of really what the loop is trying to accomplish. And it could just be scientific advancement. Like, I, I don't know. But the idea that he just actually still, he tried for so long and there's actually no solution to the idea that you will just die, I think is, is so powerful. I feel like it does to a degree. I think part of the fun of this show so far was a little bit of the uniqueness of each episode of exploring a different, piece of technology and I, I that's been one of my favorite things is like oh what sci-fi thing are we going to play with this episode and the idea that this one is like it's actually a machine that like, yeah it is sci-fi but it like it only it's really yeah it's going to tell you like how long you have left to live but at the same time like you know that's only like a thing you can then you then have to like confront in, in the way that the other stuff is like can be so manipulated right like this is not yeah, a machine this is more of like yeah. a like a thermometer as opposed yes. to like something that you can like utilize in order to like yeah. change something like emotionally. Yes, you can change yes. something with information, but you can do that with the thermometer to my metaphor. But right. yeah, I think it's it's int I, I agree with what you're saying. It's interesting the way it's we that sci fi part of it is wielded, but it's not really it's it's very it, it feels so much more human in a world where we've gotten a lot of not so human things and yeah. i think it's also interesting rich to sort that like this is a man who already has his cancer diagnosis and knows that he's at the end of his life and yet it, it, it he does go to the machine the atmosphere and he does not want to and that's probably just to like save coal like he has to answer questions like why didn't it respond back you know mm -hmm. um but yeah i just find the the use of of tech this episode so interesting rich I, I think it's tremendous. I think that the episode is layered with some of the best metaphors that we've gotten across them. But this notion that you're talking about of like this device existing, it, it it's going to answer a question that we all are living with every day, but it's not necessarily an answer that we want. And I think it's beautifully articulated as like Russ is going to come to the family and we get the scene of him sitting in the couch like, OK, my time is up. You know, it's not going to be very long now. And his son it, who, who's like got a clearly very broken and strained relationship with him, right? When like Cole is asking, what was my dad like at my age? He says, I don't know. I used to work long hours then. Like what an indictment. That broke that line. Broke my heart, Especially the way he so casually says it. Like there are a couple of yeah. lines that he, that he says to, to Cole. And it's just like, I appreciate and admire in a way his honesty with this with this child and clearly he is trying to do right by cole in a way that he didn't do right by his son and in, exactly and in that sense a little bit irresponsible right he's like assigning some of this but we're human whatever assigning some of the like uh 
impact, importance, whatever of his son onto Cole, even though he does obviously very much care about him in, in a similar way. That line of like, yeah, I wasn't really around much. And then he puts the hat on him in this very loving yeah. way. But to your point a little bit, Rich, like the 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 self-awareness now in his old age of like, yeah, no, I completely screwed the pooch on that. But let's not talk about yeah, that. I mean, he even like doubles down and is revealing to Loretta later, I should have gone to your wedding. Like, oh, my God. Right. Like they live in the same oh, town. No. He didn't go to his kid's <laughs> wedding. But so the idea that then he's sitting on the couch and he's telling them, OK, here's my time that's left. And his son is like, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, there's there's not much to do right like what are you going to do how does that change what you're going to do with the time you have left like how it, like once you know that you're on this ticking clock like we see what he does he tries to like double down on the relationship with cole which builds the resentment with his actual son with cole's dad right and like feeds that whole monster it's really incredible and to like the metaphor of it all, right? It's like, there's a point where we're going to see him working on this equation. And then we see Loretta kind of also working on the equation. And it's kind of this illusion that you're making, Grace, that like part of, I mean, he explains to Cole, what we do is try to like explain how the impossible could be possible. And Cole's going to extrapolate from that. Well, okay, then like, what's the point of all of this? If we can't keep you alive, if you can't like defeat that impossibility, what are you doing? And to what you're saying, Ariel, he's so forthright right his candor is so powerful with this child as he explains like well what afterlife like where would i be would i have a face why would i have a face how old would i be i, I have to be this old that's not good he's like challenging all these preconceptions but it's a little bit of him selling himself his own kool-aid right mm -hmm. that like he has to come to terms with the mortality he has to come to terms with a life spent in research has yet to like unravel the answer to this singular question that like looms over over every human being that has lived and ever will right and the actual then metaphor for like what's the name of the show it's a tales from the loop like a loop is a closed system like a life right it starts and then it goes around and like this idea of what happens once you leave it what happens once you come out of it like the the metaphor with like the lightning bugs in the bottle and they die and he's trying to preserve the child from the actual story of mortality so he switches with the coins but when Cole breaks breaks the jar um if you're watching closely amidst the broken glass and the coins is one dead lightning bug that like right. grandpa didn't get out of the jar right this thing that like we leave behind these like empty spaces the hat on the bed at the end the way the urn goes in like the empty place on the on the mantle it's all just like so powerfully woven in, I think, into the subtext that, like, when you go back and rewatch this one, there's a lot of there there of like these two struggles of how you reconcile with this impossible inevitability that is coming for all of us. Though we should put something here that ultimately ends up being like his urn, and Cole asks him, like, "What happens when you die?" He says, "Yeah, I'll go. I'll go in an urn. You know, I'll, I'll go there." That that was yeah, really got me. Um, yeah, this idea that like. You know, in the way that the, you know, the fireflies are there at the end, it's like, yeah, you can, you know, you talk about like the light of, of persevering and there is a way that like, even within death, you can persevere. And I think that, you know, Russ realizes over the course of his life as he's talking about, you know, the way he was a father to his, his son, that he didn't, he didn't do enough to make sure that like, you know, he would be preserved and he's feeling like that at, at his work too, right? Where he like can't figure out this equation and the ultimate thing of like, can we, you know, stave off death. It's this idea that like Cole is the last thing that he can sort of like potentially ha he has with his wife too. There's a moment where Clara whistles at the end uh, because they would whistle to each other. And you're like, Oh God, that's brutal. And sad. devastating. Right. But the thing that for me that I actually really love in a way that we've been taught rich, you and I've been talking about a lot of TV or you and I talk about movies each week, it, you know, this idea of like complex characters, people who the, the, the people who are written into shows and are not simple and that they don't do exactly as you, you think and that these writers can understand that people do not behave and make actions based on one singular, you know, reason that there's multiple reasons. One of the things that got me the most. Um, and the reason I related to this is so much is my granddad 
my my papa was uh, an incredibly quirky man. He, but I loved him to death. And I have all these things that I remember about going to his head, like, so he has passed away. But, you know, he would keep uh, chocolate bars frozen in the freezer. And you'd go over mm -hmm. and you'd get to eat, like, if you'd eat a frozen chocolate bar. And it's this, you know, and he's a bird watcher. And, bird, and he was a farmer, but he drove a bus. He's just like this, he had a, he had one of those, like, uh, massage chairs, but it was, like, very old and, and like, awful. But I, like, loved sitting in it. I have all these, like, memories of him. But the line in this episode that really got me is because my grandfather fell and broke his hip and he was in the hospital and he just slowly deteriorated. Mm -hmm. And to the point where it was like a really it was a pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and uh, and he passed away one night. And but Cole's father, George, says to him, don't remember how he is now. Remember how he was. And that that one like got me like so hard. Because promise me. Promise me. George doesn't need to. George. George doesn't need to do that. George is if it like if for all intents purposes, look, Russ didn't come to his friggin' wedding. He didn't go to his own son's wedding. And so the fact yeah. that George, but George does that for Cole, I think, like way more than he does it for Russ, even if he does it a little bit for he mostly does that for Cole. And so that too is an extension of like um, you know, Russ is trying to preserve sort of what he can and what he can impart on Cole, but George is doing that too, right? Like that, you know, in a way, in that way, they're like similar men and that similar, you know, this is not how Russ was a father to George, but it's how George is being a father to Cole. So, you know, again, I just like, George doesn't need to do that. And, you know, he's been an interesting complex. I love the line earlier where like, when he's like, his son is like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, well, you think I wanted to talk about it? Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. He closes the door. <laughs> like, it's so fun. He's so good. Cause I think he's like, you know, maybe not the best parent we've ever seen. He's certainly not dark level of parenting, but I just, I did that piece stuck with me because that's what it was like. I have to remember um, if you, if I can possibly just as I've been rambling, share one funny story from when my grandfather was not, if it was that my dad uh, was visiting my grandfather in the hospital. It is not my dad's father. It's my mother's father who I'm speaking about. But there was one night where my grandma kept saying, uh, uh, you see, there's a naked woman behind us. And my dad had to be like placating. My grandfather was apparently just like see, thinking there was a naked woman yep. standing behind my dad. And so my dad just had to be like, oh, I don't think they're there. But, uh, you know, also like, you know, saying no will just make you matter. So uh, one of the last nights is like my grandfather just continually talking about the naked woman behind him. But uh, yeah, alas, that, that's what really stuck with me at this moment in this episode. <laughs> Yeah. This is great. I love and and to the George point, it's like in a way, it's like advice that he's also trying to give himself, right? Like remember True. him how he was. True. But like the tragedy of like, I don't really know how he was because he was never yeah. effing around. So like yeah. he is trying to tell himself in a way, but like he I feel like in a he also recognizes even subconsciously that like it's useless or it's not enough. So he is trying, like you said, Grace, to like impart the knowledge onto, onto Cole. It's wild. Like I think, yeah, thinking about George, his story, I didn't even realize that I miss early in an earlier episode that they established that he was, he was, no, they've kind of obfuscated it. They kind of like, okay, okay, yeah, that was my suspicion. And then it's kind of like revealed that it's not. And you see yeah, that George more of a daughter-in-law. Yeah. Apparently, George is wearing a time travel, a time stopping uh, bracelet during this episode, which is very interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. I wonder if it has something to do with his with his arm or something. That's that's interesting. Because when he answers the phone, I forgot. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, he has that funky arm. Mm -hmm. We found that out like mm -hmm. pretty, pretty early on. Yeah, yeah, I think it, we knew that I, I like because yeah, I think that the relationship is like it feels like he could be Loretta's father. But then I think. I think it's like Cole. One of the kids is like talking to her mom and asking about like George's dad. So I think we do know, like they, we know that it's a grandfather. It's like heavily implied. I think like at least in, in the beginning, like it feels like Loretta is George's or Russ's kid. It'd be weird if she was George. I mean, that would be very yeah. Dark. It'd be super weird. That's dark all over. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So, but not like they don't like outright say like. My yeah. son, George, you know, yeah, it's definitely not supposed to be like an, oh, my God, kind of reveal. But they do kind of like obfuscate it. And we're we're certainly supposed to be walking away with the full understanding that, like, emotionally, he's much more connected to Loretta and honest and forthright. And like they've got a much more uh, healthy relationship between the two of them. And she alludes to like, oh, you didn't come to the wedding. You didn't like me very much back then. He's like, no, I did not. But I think that part of what you both are talking about in terms of joy, George saying this to Cole, um, 
it's really relatable for a lot of us for a lot of us right like all too many people this is like a pretty common plight that you have to watch these people that you care about very deeply who are generations older than you go through this kind of decline into their elder years right and and i like had that experience not with my grandfather but with my uncle and it was very similar to what you're kind of talking about grace and it's like it, that's what lands so close to home for me but the other part of it of george like is is talking to himself a little bit as much as he's talking to Cole, remember how he was not this it's the same thing that his father was doing when he's trying to explain like mortality the end of life death the like acceptance that we need to find around it as he's giving Cole the like first rundown of like nope my time is ending and Cole can't get his head around it russ is trying to like accept it for his own right the scene of like jonathan price like coming home from the drive and like standing outside his house sobbing and sobbing before he comes in to Clara who's like watching TV eating ice cream and like it's back to business as usual even the little beat at the end of like the, the toilet bowl being broken again you know like these kind of things are so relatable and accessible to so many people because we all are going to have to deal with this one way or another um, and there's just like no easy way to unpack it it's an impossible question that we can never really come to any kind of like certainty or conclusion about you know yeah, I, I want to share. That, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Very, sorry, very quickly, I want to yeah. share something that some a couple of things that I found on the IMDb page. Uh, first of all, one of the funniest descriptions for an episode I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. I would say disrespectful. It reads, "An old man is dying, and his grandson oh. is upset about it." And then I go back, and then I went back and I read. It's not wrong, but I went back and I read the other ones, and they're all so much more thoughtful and like kind of. Uh, more mysterious and this one like i feel like it's a troll yeah uh but the other thing is uh shane carruth who played one of the main characters in primer apparently plays the back head side of cole in his 50s so i just want to interesting connection yeah um, I wanted to talk about the the toilet being broken, uh, um, mostly because I do what I thought this episode does really well is not just like it's really big ideas, right? We're talking about like the firefly and like you know we're in a sci-fi world where he's been like trying to prevent death, and this idea of like am I have been a good father? Am I am I being a good grandfather? Am I imparting wisdom on on my young son? Am I apologizing? Not really apologizing, but like at least acknowledging like I wasn't nice to my daughter-in-law you know these are like big things about life but the the toilet is such a small thing right the toilet breaks but this is a thing that like yeah clara like he fixed like he would fix the toilet you know it's such a you know these like mundane things there's um the one of the best things i ever read about grief the this analogy of that you imagine that grief is a ball in a box and when the person has just left and you're, you know, in the worst stages of grieving and the first the first piece of trying to, to move on, the ball is so gigantic and it hits the walls all the time. And every time it hits the wall, that's a moment of grief. It's like, oh, my God. And so it's like the ball is ginormous and it gets bigger and it hits the side of the wall. And as you move on, the ball gets smaller as you like manage grief and you and time moves on. But it's still every once in a while friggin' pings up against the side of that that box it pings and you and you have that moment of grief i feel like the toilet thing is like i know it's like it's just happened like he's just passed away but it's like one of those things that like you wouldn't expect maybe it to like set off your grief oh. like that you wouldn't think like you know somebody is like well yeah the toilet's broken it's like i know but like he, russ would fix it you know and the whistle too i think the piece about the whistle just like sticking on clara for a second that i really love is this notion of it's not just this kid Cole, this is a show that's very much like about children and adolescents and their uh, understanding of the world and their like poor decision making. And not that Claire, I think Clara makes a poor decision here, but like when she whistles, like, you know, in a way, there must be this thing of her being like, maybe he'll whistle back. Maybe he figured it out. Maybe it was a trick. Maybe his consciousness is in something else and I'll hear the whistle. Or maybe the afterlife will send me a sign because I'll hear a bird chirp and it's that whistle, you know? And she's like, doing that i think you have you don't do that i think unless you're like expecting something even if it's to like release your own grief for a moment but you're also maybe wondering like well maybe 
And so I like that that's in there. Not only that I think it's like heartbreaking. And so I love it from the aspect of a television show, but also that I think like we're wrapped up in like coal thinking like there's no way this can, how come, how do we stop my grandfather from dying? He's the most like, right. He's like sneaking in trying to figure out like all the five, see if he can figure it out and he can't. And I feel like there's this moment at the end of the episode with Clara where she whistles. That's like, maybe he did figure it out. Like maybe, maybe, maybe death isn't real too. And then, it's like it's not true. Mm. It is. It is true. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think that like you're spot on in the way that like when when Russ is talking to Loretta and she's like, "Oh, did it? Does it feel like a long time ago?" And he's like, "No, it feels like a flash. Yeah. It feels like I blinked and it's all gone." There is this thing where like I don't know. I mean, I'm old enough to have a lot of gray in my beard, but like I'm also still the same dumb ten year old kid that I was, like letting myself in by myself after school and cooking eggs and all of it. And that, you know, again to the fire. Fireflies. I think that it's one of these things where like no matter how much like you may be a super scientist and your grandson may be really smart and you could sit there and explain bioluminescence, but it doesn't matter for a 10 year old kid catching fireflies in the backyard like that's magic, right? These are these like magic flickering bugs that you're kind of capturing. And there's this element of this whole show when you talk about it being about kids, Grace, like the 80s that never was. Stalin Hogg's art is very rooted in that imagination of a child, right? He grew up in the 80s and he's like a evoking these imaginative ideas in like the imagination anything can be possible to like russ's point so the idea of like clara and even russ for that matter i think in the end of their life having had life experiences knowing the difference between like real and make-believe and, and the impossible and the possible she's reaching for that impossible thing you know and mm -hmm. part of like the show is like trained us to come along and believe we're going to see impossible things right and there's a little bit of like that pavlovian response that like you think like oh will russ respond oh will there be some sign are the like fireflies at the end is that russ like show himself to call or like is it just humanity is it just the experience this woman like clara who's lost her husband like having the imagination doing the impossible thing in the impossible moment being super vulnerable to like expose herself to this thing that she knows cannot possibly be true but do you know if you don't yeah. whistle do you know and yeah. like god that's heart-wrenching and it's really optimistic to me like in an episode that's very much about mortality and morbidity and how we like cope with that how we unpack it for children how we unpack it for ourselves as we inevitably crash towards it it yeah. feels really like optimistic and hopeful to me that clara can like retain that vulnerability can be vulnerable in the moment can hope against all conceivable expectation that like he's going to whistle back when he's not. Yeah. No, it's pretty good. Women don't always like when you whistle at them. Oh, that, no, that, true. But it's Clara true. who's whistling, who always whistles first, I think. If yeah, true, 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 true. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. she's, okay. she's giving her, she's giving yeah. her, uh, her uh -huh. whistle consent. Uh -huh. um, this Loretta uh -huh. conversation that you mentioned, Rich, I think is so fascinating because First of all, I I choose to believe that on some level, whether Loretta told him what like Russ seems to be like really aware of he just strikes me as the person. I guess I'm making an assumption. He strikes me as a person who like knows more about what's going on in the bigger sense of the loop and all these things than he's letting on. And I kind of choose to believe that he's aware on some level of everything that happened with Loretta and like, you know, the 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 first episode and how that all like mm -hmm. netted out. And the idea that like the quote that you mentioned of did it feel like a long time was so crazy because she had her own version of waiting, right? Like waiting for, yeah. she, she thought it was a dream. She wasn't sure. But like the closest comp that she has is like she was a kid. She met herself. Then she was an adult and she was like, did that really happen? And then it happened. And then that's her, she, whether she realizes it or not, she like is making that comparison. Like, did it feel like a long time? for your thing because my thing probably did feel like a long time or maybe it didn't for her we don't we don't really get that sense but i thought that 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 situation her what she went through is like looming so large in that scene and the thing about like him doing the the, the equation himself right he's trying to like solve the thing and then you get the reveal that he didn't go to their wedding or you didn't really like me he clearly saw himself in her was my assumption and like was in some way probably even after she started working there like threatened by her and even now he's trying to like prove his worth by potentially solving this thing that she's trying to solve himself and i just thought that that was 
there was so much that was unsaid between them that was just as interesting as everything they were saying. And it's, I love, like, Loretta is such an incredibly rich character because of what she went through and, like, because she is like him in a lot of ways, right? Like, she's stoic. She she seems to keep things, like, close to the vest and 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 kind of not really want to want to talk about things. She's trying to be a better mother. You know, we saw that stuff. So I just, I think it's really interesting to, like, compare their trajectory as characters. I really love that we get Cole commenting after he breaks into the loop, which like, yeah, Grace, like ain't nobody getting into the wind and power plant that easy. Say what you will about, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Boris Neewald, but he ran mm-hmm. a tight ship, you know, but nonetheless, I, like the beat where Cole gets down there and he sees the eclipse as the thing is called, right. The big, like kind of black ball in the center of the loop. And he's like, it was the same as the thing that girl had. And it stops Loretta dead in her tracks. And she's like, it was maybe the same. And that we know we're dealing with like time and anomalies and death. So I think in that way, like the, the sci-fi thread is still tracking through all of this. There is like a greater kind of like meta text to the story of like season one of tell, from the loop that is like being told across the episodes that that like make these vignettes kind of more than just these individual kind of explorations of the tech as we as we're doing them but mm-hmm. yeah the loretta dynamic with him is like so profound and, and it just like so centrally hangs on that thing you talked about ariel like her awareness of her shortcomings as a parent right and like the way that these two things map to each other them both being like so driven and kind of consumed by the science of it all um it's a really fascinating place to like find a connection point for both these characters and like terms of being dysfunctional parents that are aware of it and kind of unable to course correct for it as she's telling them like your son would like to hear that thing that you were sad you weren't at our wedding but like we don't see that scene right Mm mm-hmm no no yeah shades of and how, how scared how scared she yeah. must have been how scared she must have been in that moment when cole was like about to touch the thing because she's like oh my god am i about to lose my child to time <laughs> like, right crazy yeah. all right let's let's do some mvp lvp i think lvp is way harder this episode so i'm gonna oh, start wow. with what I got one. Okay, go for it. Who's your LVP? It's definitely Fakeb who sits there happily eating breakfast <laughs> next to his traumatized, not really little brother as they're like, Grandpa died, and he shovels another plate of freaking scrambled eggs into not his mouth because he stole this body. <laughs> I think that he's mm. the easy LVP every episode that he's in, you know? I did forget that that was Fakeb. Yeah. Not- not his mouth. I love it. Do you have one, it's Ariel? Not... Uh, I mean, I was going to say death, but that seems a little... Um... <laughs> see I mean, LVP. it's no more abstract than some of my other ridiculous picks. Um, I don't know. Do you have one, Grace? I mean, I think he has a really good episode. I might give, you know, spoilers. I'm, I maybe will give the same vote to the same person because i feel like there's a bunch of that he is both the mvp and the lvp of this episode russ admits that he didn't go to his son's wedding is real bad that's a real bad look i know he's he being in the same town i know right? he's being so sweet to to cole in this episode it's so good it's like about his death honestly the thing that got me more than anything in this episode is just the way he drops uh in the like honestly that's like the yeah. most uncomfortable like you know just like yeah so it just like happens you know but yeah, he didn't. Get, he's like turns out to be a pretty bad dad this episode. So I think I'm going to give my LVP to Russ, and I have spoiled who I'll giving me get, maybe giving wow. my MVP to. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah. I I guess I yeah I guess I just have to give it to respectfully. I will give it to Death. Uh, because just you know out here ruining ruining lives. But also, I guess alternatively, I will just say not to piss Death off. Also, like giving me life meaning, so you know it's not all bad. Hey, it's me, Death. Uh, that's, that's like <laughs> oh my God, who let Death on the podcast? Thank you. That was great. I was going to be pretty mad at you for a second, but then you were like, <laughs> "Nope, that's you know gives life meaning." So that's what I try to do. Got, all right, later. We we got him in the end. <laughs> follow for me. Framing the context. Follow me on the platform that's definitely called X. At death twenty seven fifty one. Twitter. F death. Not Twitter. So no, funny. it's not called Twitter. Uh, we burned that. Don't Twitter make me come back. Dead, actually, and I. 
And he realized death was it was an Elon guy, it was a Musk bro. I'm out on death. Damn. Consider me out. Don't sign me up anymore. Can I be undead? Do you think just like? Do you think he's just like retweeting like when people when like famous people die? He's like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> he's doing the he did, yeah, yeah. You know what he hates? It's weird that he does hate the misinformation about the fake deaths. He's like, that's not me. I didn't do it yet. Yeah, yeah. He's I like, wait, wait, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he hates death. Hates misinformation. On Twitter, fake news, oh, yeah, fake yeah, news. Yeah. He's always on, really on that. that we, on that, at much we agree at least. <laughs> I just hope this death doesn't show back up when we're talking about the Sandman, Grace, because we're gonna have a battle of the deaths. So he really left leave. pretty quick. He's gone. I think. I don't know. I don't know who let him <laughs> in the podcasting studio, but no, it was the, me. I was dead when oh, we started. Man. That's my oh, bad. Yeah. Casey, All right. Casey, uh, it's like this. Is, that that death is exactly like when death shows up in the Sims and then he does, he does, he does, he doesn't, he just hangs out for a bit. You know, you're like, that's weird. Man. Um, all right. Gonna I'm going to give, drink. I'm going to give my MVP to also Russ just for the fun of it. I think it's very thematically. It's such a good, this is mostly for Jonathan price. I know like we like joked about mm-hmm. like not, you know, like, Oh, if I could give it to Jonas, uh, no, Jonas is the character's name. If I gave it to Andreas Peachman, like I would, but you know, but I'm going to give it to Russ. It's really good. I really also just love, I do I do I am kind of a sucker for the sentiment of like you know can you you know you messed up your whole life can you like is that it are you is it is it that's it for the rest of your life like yeah I don't think people need to forgive you but I do think trying and and not expecting anything in return I think is also very commendable so I'll get to give my MVP to Russ although I'm tempted to give it to Cole but for balance goes to I Russ. am gonna give it to Cole and yeah. I feel like at the top of the list is he breaks into the loop, which is like mm-hmm. incredible behavior from him, like an all time flex on on the whole town, frankly, and certainly on his grandpa and security, as we've already said. Um, I was about Cole's age when I met. I'm not going to be the only one who doesn't talk about the grandparents when I met my grandfather's who I was able to meet one time. Both of my grandmothers passed when my parents were young. So like, yikes mm-hmm. to their trauma. Uh, but the I was able to meet both of my grandfathers on the same trip when I was 11 years old. And I'm really grateful that I got that time with them and that I, you know, met them and got to to hear hear stories. And, and, ha- and I, now I carry their memory in that small way. So... Cole is great here, like very I'm always going to be empathetic to like a child dealing with things that are really difficult and complicated and unknowable things that even adults have problems dealing with. And this Cole, this episode has has, has served a lot on his plate mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, even even opens the door for his grandpa when he's mad at him. So I think that's commendable. And that's a regret that he won't have not opening the door that one. No, time. it's right. really good. Yep. All right, Rich. What do you got? I think in a surprise turn of events, I think I got to give it to death uh, for joining us on the podcast. That was super cool. I started this podcast out as dead and I've had a really fun time for the last 45 minutes. So that's a big reversal for me. I didn't expect being dead would be this enjoyable. It might just be the company in the room. I certainly wasn't anticipating the podcast appearance, but once again, uh, like my beloved Ulrich once upon a time, death really was the active ingredient of this episode. I mean, like Russ doesn't give us a heck of a lot without like death knocking on his door. Uh, So in the interest of balance, I give my MVP to death. Rich, do you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, that's really, I really appreciate it. I just want to stop back in and say, thanks for giving me MVP point. It's great. (laughs) No, that's cool. We're we're totally bros. I'll talk to you later. All right, later. (laughs) Wow. Great. I love it. Tired. Giving tired. Giving death an LVP. Wired. Giving death an MVP. Is there one more to that? Because it's like then there's also impersonating death on a body. Death. (laughs) Then tired wired and death. I love that we have uh, found a way to experience this much joy on such a tragic (laughs) recap of a very sad episode. Real sad. 
Uh, maybe death will come join us on another pod. We'll see. Um, all right. Uh, ratings. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say uh, this is out of eight because eight is the infinity symbol and it's tails from the loop and whatever. We needed a number. I'm gonna give it a full eight. I love this episode. I think it's amazing. I think that there's so much like the fact that the sci-fi is so secondary and yet I think the sci-fi is so interesting. Um, the episode is just full of like you know. So th there's so much to this episode, even if it doesn't feel like there's that much when you're watching it. I really like it. I'm gonna give it a full eight what do you what do you what do you think rich i think i'm gonna go with the 7.8 just to give myself mm -hmm. some room because mm -hmm. i know there's an episode coming up that i remember myself deeply enchanted with i i think it's hard to make an episode of tv that's as effective as this i really love it when uh artists like come in with an agenda and they just executed perfectly on what they're trying to do in this 60 minutes so i i, I don't think that you're off base to give it the perfect score grace yeah, we should highlight this is uh, all these episodes are written by Nathaniel Halpern, um, but this episode in particular directed by Andrew Stanton, um, who is famous for not these types of things. He's pretty famous for A Bug's Life, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, Wally, -E, Monsters Inc. Uh, no, he co wrote all Toy Story films and Monsters Inc. That's wow. Episode. Yeah. I mean, I guess the children's aspect does, and Toy Story yeah. 3 is very sad if you've seen that so i guess maybe that tracks but yeah very yep. interesting choice there um ariel what do you got and i can remind you you gave episode one a perfect date then a 6.9 yes. nice a 6.5 so you've been slowly decreasing in quality seven well sorry it was an eight for the first one what was the second one 6.9 and then a 6.5 yeah, that seems a little hard. Out of eight, out of eight, out of eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I know. I'm, I'm a yeah. little, I'm a little down. I'm, I'm gonna give myself a one on the scoring oh. of episode two. Okay, but, How dare you? Um, it should have been like a seven or like a seven one. This one, six point nine is basically a seven. That's, that's very nice. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I am gonna go. Let's see. I'll go like seven seven on this one. Seven seven. All right um i'm the late i'm the i like tales from the loop the least uh ariel still <laughs> in uh, first place 7.28 rich you have a 7.23 i have 6.88 no audience scores yet people feel free to send in your mvp lvp uh and your your ratings for the episodes um all right that is episode four halfway through tales from the loop so we're going to keep chugging along in the meantime rich where can people find you um, I'm on Death's favorite social media platform <laughs> at DM Philly. You can also catch me in the underworld, <laughs> hanging out with the undead. Uh, I'm talking about a lot of TV. Yes, uh, Ariel. What about you? Incredible. I am uh -huh. also on the Undead app at that other Ariel, covering movies with you, covering Morning Show with you, Grace, as well. And I'm retweeting everything I'm covering over there. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, Rich, are you talking about Rome? Uh, we're not talking about the morning show and movies. Uh, Yellowstone, Rich and I are covering. Our flag means death has returned as well. And then full spoiler recaps is happening with Jess and I. And Ariel will be joining us next week for Mike Flanagan's The Fall of House Usher, which is uh, a Netflix horror show. It should be pretty mm. good. Um, all right, we'll be back next. I'm on socials at High from Grace or at Go for Grace. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tales from the Loop. Until then, ultimate fist bump. Ultimate fist bump. Ultimate fist bump. Ultimate fist bump.